Truth News Network. A lone voice cries out in the night for an end to the lies, for an end to the deceptions, for an end to the corruption, for an end to the cancel culture that destroys wantonly all that oppose it. Where do you find that voice? (laughs) Right here. His name is Dan Newman. And right here is Truth News Network, TNN Live. They both work together. Truthnewsnet.org, TNN Live, a production. And um, listen, we do this for one reason and one reason only. We don't monetize this. Most people don't realize it. It doesn't cost you a thing to come here. It doesn't cost you a thing to read any of our stories that are published daily at truthnewsnet.org. The only price is for your time to look in and learn a few things. We do a lot of digging, and a lot of people say, man, you get a lot of content. How do you do that? It doesn't just drop out of the sky, folks. It doesn't happen that way. It takes a lot of work, and we're fine with that. That's what we're all about. We want to present facts to you and people that are saying factual things that are really important things about your life and about mine. And so that's what we do here. And we do it every day, 9 to 11 Central, 9 to 11 a.m. Central. And don't forget, if you miss a live show, you don't need to miss that day's show. Shortly after 11 a.m. Central, you can go to your favorite website hosting entity. You got an app maybe iHeartRadio, maybe Spotify, maybe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, even Amazon Music. Just do a search. If you've not done it and set it up on your phone, do a search for TNN Live. That's the name of the show. And you can download the entire show by picking it up at any one of those and many other podcast outlets. Hey, It's hump day. (laughs) You get through with the day, you're halfway through the week, and you're looking right down the throat of a weekend, and we all need those here. Boy, I mean, I need one every week. Sometimes I'd love to have a couple of them a week. It's just, uh, I mean, breakneck speed every day to try to stay on top of the big things that are out there. And we do our best for you. And we've done our best for today's show. What's ahead? I'm trying to think where I want to put this particular segment. Last night, Senator Mario Rubio and Val Demings, who's a congresswoman in the state of Florida, they had their first debate. Now, let me tell you about Val Demings. Everybody knows who Marco Rubio is. He's been a senator for some time, a Hispanic guy. He's got Cuban background. And uh, he's an attorney, very educated guy, ran for president. And he's a very, very conservative guy. Now, Val Demings, I got to tell you, it's a different story. She was a police chief in a major city, I believe, Orlando, Florida, when her husband was mayor. And I guess, baby, her whole, um, the way she looks, the way she talks, the way she thinks, A lot of that is based on what she did and what she learned when she was a police chief. Let me just tell you, you may remember her. She's an African-American woman. During the first Trump impeachment process and trial, she was key 
over in the House of Representatives where she serves now as a representative from Central Florida. She was one of those that actually penned one or two or three of those articles of impeachment, the different parts in it. And then she was one of those that brought those over to the Senate when they conducted the trial. She presented some evidence. She's an angry woman. I don't know any other way to best describe her. When she talks, especially about political matters, especially when she's speaking to or about a political opponent, that would be any Republican, she talks down to them. She's just angry. Angry all the time. Now, I wasn't going to do this till just moments before the show started, but I went and grabbed just a segment of that Rubio Demings debate that happened last night. And I want you to hear this is just a sample of what's happening on a global scale between Democrats in our government and Republicans. This is a way many of them treat each other face to face. CBS. Miami picked up this segment and they put in some uh, opinions of their own. I want you to hear this. It, this again, this was just published moments ago from Miami. The senator who has never run anything at all but his mouth. Well, she's never passed a bill. She's never passed a single bill. I think there was a time when you did not lie in order to win. She actually voted for the crazy people's budget, a socialist budget. She voted for it. Marco Rubio and Val Demings, neither one pretending to be running for any sort of diplomatic post. In their first and last debate, the candidates for U.S. Senate from Florida had little time for pleasantries. Yeah, that's right. They are fighting for themselves and for their respective parties to have control of the Senate. Demings needed a good performance tonight in an average of polls compiled by Real Clear Politics. She has 41.8 percent. Rubio has 46.5%. That's a lead for Rubio of almost five points. We have complete coverage for you. Jim DeFitti will break down what he sees as the biggest strengths and weaknesses of the candidates. But first, Carly Barnett tackles the issues. Carly. Lauren Elliott, they covered a lot of ground tonight. And speaking of those polls, they're showing most voters say inflation is a dominant issue. So Senator Rubio and Congresswoman Demings had this to say when asked about inflation and the role COVID relief may have played in that. The first thing we have to stop, start doing is stop spending that kind of money. We had already done two pa pandemic reliefs. This came on top of it. And they were warned. The Democrats were warned by Larry Summers, by other Democrat economists, you do this, you're going to fire up inflation. So that's number one. Number two is we've got to begin to produce American oil again. Why are we, why are we begging Saudi Arabia for oil? Why are we begging Venezuela and Iran for oil? We're producing a million barrels a day less on oil than we used to do just a couple years ago. We have the, instead, we are depleting our reserves. No one planned the pandemic. But our response to it is everything. Individuals were hurting, families were hurting, businesses were hurting. We passed the CARES Act, which the senator supported. There were some problems in the CARES Act with the Paycheck Protection Program that you love to take credit for. Some say it was poorly written. Some say it didn't help the people that it was supposed to, didn't save the jobs that it was supposed to. There was a way to fix the problems in the PPP through the American Rescue Plan and help people that were in trouble. But you played politics. Another issue that brought back and forth was abortion. The question was directed originally at Rubio, who was asked if he would support a federal abortion ban with no exceptions. I'm 100% pro-life. 
Because I, not because I want to deny anyone their rights, but because I believe that innocent human life is worthy of the protection of our laws. She supports no restrictions, no limitations of any kind. She voted against a four-month, she's against a four-month ban. She voted against a five-month ban. She supports taxpayer-funded abortion on demand for any reason at any time up until the moment of birth. That you support no exceptions, even including rape and incest. Now, as a police detective who investigated cases of rape and incest, no, Senator, I don't think it's okay for a 10-year-old girl to be raped and have to carry the seed of her rapist. Those decisions are made between the woman, her family, her daughter, and her faith. Now, of course, with the recent mass shooting in North Carolina and the Parkland shooter trial wrapping up, they debated matters of gun control legislation. Here's what they both said. What makes no sense is that we're going to actually pass laws that only law-abiding people will follow and criminals will continue to violate. The truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, that Americans have a Second Amendment right to protect themselves. They have, and, and, and these killers that are out there, if they're intent on killing as they are, they have found multiple ways to get a hold of weapons and cause mass destruction. This is about taking dangerous guns out of the hands of dangerous people. And the overwhelming majority of people in our nation want us to do just that. How long will you watch people being gunned down in first grade, fourth grade, high school, college, church, synagogue, a grocery store, a movie theater, a mall, and a nightclub? Congresswoman. And do nothing. Jim DeFeedy joining me now. Jim, you and I were talking about it just before the newscast. I mean, really both came out of the gate swinging here, really fired up. So we want to start with what did you think they were most successful with in the debate? What do you think was each of their strongest moments? Well, I think you just played it there for Val Demings. I think that her attack on Rubio on guns, she was passionate, she was energetic. I mean, she she went after him in part, not just because of the record that she says she would support in terms of sensible gun re regulation, but also holding him accountable for the fact that he made certain commitments after Parkland that he would do certain things and then failed to do so and called him out on some of the talking points that he often parrots from the NRA. I thought it was was her best moment in the debate. Now, for Marco Rubio, uh, I thought his best moment came when on questions of foreign policy. I know we didn't play some of that, but when the questions started turning to what do we do in case Russia uses a nuclear weapon in the conflict there in Ukraine, or how do we stem China? Uh, Val Demings showed that one of the problems that you have when you're a member of the House, you don't have a lot of experience on foreign policy things. Marco Rubio, this was a real strength for him. He, he was able to play to some that, that he is very well versed in. He, he showed a real command of the issues when it came to foreign policy, talking about China. He's been a long critic of China, nobody doubts that. And also his experience on the Senate Intelligence Committee really played, I thought that was his best moment. Now, of course, it wasn't all necessarily highlights. So the obvious follow-up question here, Jim, what do you think was each of the candidates' weakest moments? Well, I thought the overall lack of civility in, in the debate and, and, and you know, for, for those moments where uh, Marco Rubio was a real statesman talking about foreign policy, you know, it degenerated pretty quickly for him in terms of going after Val Demings using some of the language that, that we've it just become sort of rhetoric at this point. He referred to her as a leftist, as a socialist, a Marxist. He called her ideas crazy. That sort of name calling doesn't really work. but. 
to be honest with you, Val Demings uh, had the same attacks and retorts for Marco Rubio, calling him repeatedly, calling him a liar, you know, pointing out, uh, you know, how many times did she point out in this debate that he had been, uh, you know, elected office for 24 years, trying to suggest that, that he had been in office for too long and lost touch with the people. I thought, I thought the weakest moment for both of them was really the notion that they weren't addressing how they would solve the, the issues that affect everyday people. They never really made that case. And, and I think that this was a lost opportunity for Val Demings in this regard. I heard a lot of her talk about why nobody should, uh, why, why you shouldn't vote for Marco Rubio, but I'm not sure she, she adequately made the case for why you should vote for her. She made a negative campaign against him, but not as much of a positive uh, expression for why you should vote for her. Well, Jim, as always, we appreciate your insight tonight. Thank you. And I'm Carly Barnett for CBS 4 News Tonight. So that was a Miami CBS newscast. And I just wanted you to hear what people in Florida saw and read from Val Demings and Marco Rubio's debate last night. Only debate they're going to have in their run for the Senate in Florida. Now, why is this a big deal? I got to be honest with you. We are sitting in a very precarious political position in the United States of America. And whoever controls the Senate after the midterms, that is going to determine if our nation is going to continue on its slide that was begun with Barack Obama, four years of a halt on that, a slide towards, I don't know if you want to call it socialism, if you want to call it authoritarianism or what you want to label it, but sliding towards a place where government has more and more control, more and more power that has been taken from the American people. And this, this kind of uh, debate between these two regarding their different philosophies illustrate that there is a group and you can call it leftist, You can call it hardcore Democrats, leftist Democrats, whatever you want to title it, but it comes principally from those in the Democrat Party that think the answer to everything is more power to the federal government. Remember all of those policies that they tried to shove down the Americans' throats included taking over our election system, moving the election process's control and responsibility to operate from each of the 50 states, putting it in one big bucket and shipping that to the Potomac Valley, to Washington, D.C., and just let the federal government run it. That's an example of what the leftists want in this nation. Our forefathers, they came from that kind of environment. They left Northern Europe. They left that kind of control where a very small group of people at the top of the government controlled every part of every person's lives. And they pushed back against it. And I got to be honest with you. If you talk to John Q. Public on the street today and ask them if they would like to have a government where the government told them everything they could do, told them everything they couldn't do, and if you didn't do what the government said to do, You were in big trouble, and they could do to you whatever they wanted to. They would say, I don't want that. I want what we have now. I want a democracy. 
it's sad to say, but people like Val Demings. Do you remember I told you she, she just seems angry? In that snippet from that debate, you heard her just really ramp it up and get mad. And it, I kept waiting for curse words against Marco Rubio. Now, let me just tell you this about Rubio. From the very beginning, I just have always sensed that there's something there that's just not right. I don't know what it is. When he made that failed run to win the Republican nomination to run for president, he seemed like he was trying to do and be something that he wasn't really. But he knew what it would take to get the American people to think about him if he had any hope of being elected. And he just always seemed like he was pushing too hard, that he was a little bit outside of his real identity of who he is. I don't know anything, and this is not a conspiracy theory that I'm promoting, but I just felt like that, and I think most Americans did too because there was not a lot of support for Rubio when he was trying to get that nomination. All that being said, he's got the Senate seat. Val Demings wants to take it from him, and she wants to represent half of the Senate representation from the state of Florida. I think it's a dangerous thing, my personal opinion. I think we need to, as quickly and as hard as we possibly can, push this nation back towards the middle politically and put some common sense back in this whole governing process where the Biden administration has just ripped all kinds of things out of the hands of the people. And Joe Biden, through executive orders, he hadn't been able to push a lot of this through Congress. Through executive orders, he's seized control of the American people. We'll talk today more about some of the things that he's done through executive order. And when I've seen it, the first thing I said was, a president doesn't have the power to do this. Like this cancellation of federal student loan debt. He doesn't have the authority to do that. Nancy Pelosi, a year ago, she basically, not basically, she absolutely said, nobody, no president has the authority to cancel anything when it comes to money. That's not their obligation and permission to do, according to the Constitution. Money matters all have to come through the United States Congress. And that means they almost all begin in the House of Representatives, the People's House. We were told that yesterday, the process of putting it out there so people can apply for that loan forgiveness, they started yesterday distributing the applications for the cancellation of federal student loan debt. I promise you today, if not today before the weekend, at least one lawsuit will be filed in federal court against this action that Biden took without Congress because his doing so is unconstitutional. And he knows it is. And he knows it's not going to survive. So why would he do it? You know the answer to that. The answer to that is he and his party look like they're going to be shellacked in 20 days in the midterm elections, and they're throwing, he's throwing bones to the populace trying to buy votes. And he's doing it in a bunch of different ways. 
his timing on these policies that he's doing are specifically to try to boost voter turnout in 20 days. He's harnessing the full powers of the presidency, and he's doing it to help Democrats somehow to avoid a red wave, a Republican landslide, whatever you want to call it. He's hoping that a series of these executive actions can boost turnout for Democrats and somehow blunt Republican attacks on issues like inflation. Democrat strategists acknowledge this, and they're getting scared to death. There is no question Biden and Democrats are integrating what they can do in the government with their political midterm messages. Biden in particular has such low approval ratings that he had to get out there and do something about it. And what's better than to throw some money out there? Throw some stuff out there to just spur these people on by saying, if you leave us in power, if you leave these members of Congress where they are, these Democrats, we're going to continue to give these things to you. So strategists say that Biden's recent executive actions they appeared focused on giving young voters, who, by the way, I'm sure you know this, they overwhelmingly vote Democrat, giving them a reason to go vote. They cite as proof the president's recent decision to cancel that student debt for borrowers and his pardoning of people convicted of marijuana possession. Yeah, he pardoned a bunch of people that were convicted of marijuana possession in federal courts. Polls show that both policies are pretty popular with a cross-section of those young voters. Younger Americans are also, they're more likely to benefit financially than older ones from that student debt handout. Why? I mean, if older people borrowed college money, they've already paid it back, so it's no big deal to them. But it's these young people, and Biden is out there, and he's shopping for one thing, not for support of him, but to buy some votes in the midterms. $500 billion is what they are now saying. His student uh, student loan cancellation policy is going to cost if it stands. And experts say it's not going to stand. However, one Democrat strategist said it's a good policy but it could also encourage base voters as the midterms are looking more and more to be a turnout election. Young voters, they helped Biden win a narrow White House victory over Donald Trump back in 2020. Since then, however, that young group of Americans has shown ambivalence towards Biden and Democrats. It seems to have changed in recent weeks, coinciding with Biden's executive actions. A Fox News poll, which, you know, Fox is conservative. It was conducted last week. It found that Biden's approval rating rose three points over the past month. It's up to 46% now. And the rise was largely driven by an eight-point jump in Biden's approval rating among voters under 45. It's all about votes. That's what it's all about. It's not about anything else. It's not if they're good. It's not if there's something that's necessary. Joe Biden can't get squat passed in Congress without a war. (laughs) And the only way he's going to get anything done is if he does it with his pen and bypasses Congress, which in 
Most cases, he can't do. And this one will be questioned. Well, you heard Val Demings and Marco Rubio. That's just one Senate race, U.S. Senate race, that is very important going on. There's another one in Pennsylvania. And it's between Dr. Oz, Mehmet Oz. You know him. You see him on TV. He's been on television for years doing his show. So everybody knows him. His opponent in the race up there in in Pennsylvania, not known so much. His name is John Fetterman, and he's lieutenant governor of the state of Pennsylvania. Honestly, until he announced and started doing some uh, beginning campaigning processes to run against Mehmet Oz, that's the first time I saw him. I didn't know anything about him, but he makes a dramatic impression when you just look at him. He's six feet, eight inches tall. He's a big guy, white guy, shaves his head, has a goatee, and it's neatly trimmed. But he looks like Lurch. You remember Lurch on the Adams family? Uncle Fester, I think, is the one I'm thinking about. And he's kind of scary when you look at him. After he suffered a really bad stroke back in May, after he had announced a senatorial run, he now relies on speech-to-text software to understand what people say. This digital interface has become part of him. In a NBC interview a few days ago, Fetterman can be seen gazing at his desktop screen, struggling to comprehend the questions that he was asked. He will even be allowed to use this software in the October 25th debate next week with Dr. Oz. So in a healthy society, Fetterman's own party would urge him to resign for the common good because of this, and it's not because of his policies or his ability to serve as U.S. Senator. It's about him having a stroke and having cognitive disability, which is very obvious. So this session, this whole thing is beyond the polarized arguments over things like immigration and crime or even nuclear war. Cognitive fitness is crucial for political leaders, especially today. Their job is to engage the public, all of us, project competency abroad, and go toe-to-toe with political rivals. But we don't live in a healthy society anymore. Rather than acknowledge the danger of electing a U.S. senator who, tragically, has been forced to merge with a machine, Fetterman's supporters are framing this as an equity issue. And i got to be honest with you, any time we get in a conversation about equity, it just amps me up. I get mad about it. The normal desire to have leaders of sound mind and body is being denounced as ableism. And I've never heard that word before, ableism, which is the expectation that people are able to do their jobs, ableism. They got to put a name on everything today. It's identity politics. In a culture, our culture, that rewards virtue signaling, even compromise cognition, is exalted as a virtue, believe it or not. Our new normal, what is it? It's not inclusive of MAGA or the unvaccinated. 
but it undoubtedly includes cyborgs. <laughs> and now riding a wave of diversity and inclusion, Fetterman is America's first official cyborg candidate. For transhumanist, Trucker Carlson said last week, this is Neil Armstrong on the moon. Here you have one of the most famous politicians in the country merging with a computer. Anybody that's familiar with these serious conversations that are happening all across the country, everywhere, about this Senate race, these conversations are happening around human augmentation. They know that Tucker is correct. It's becoming the central issue of our time. And we got to grapple with the benefits and dangers in a serious matter. Klaus Schwab, who's the chairman of the World Economic Forum, he calls this global transformation the fourth industrial revolution. The fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. Schwab wrote a book back in 2016 by that title, it identifies cochlear implants as a forerunner to an implanted brain-computer interface casually described as a built-in smartphone. What begins with healing is expected to become enhancement. You didn't think I was going to talk to you about this. This is a critical thing for all Americans to understand. There is a concerted effort in the world, not just in the United States, but to take us very quickly toward a world where this is front and center, top of mind, every day for everybody. Fetterman is a public illustration of this digitization process, both its advantages and its limitations. Supporters argue that a senator using a computer to communicate should be accepted as normal. His use of digital assistance is being defended as ordinary closed captioning. But this is disingenuous. Unlike people that have hearing loss, and I'm one of those, Fetterman suffers from something far more serious. Aphasia, which is the neurological inability to process speech, it's not a mere sensory disorder. It's a debilitating processing issue. In Fetterman's case, it's compounded by difficulty speaking and maintaining a steady train of thought. And you wonder how he would endure the pressure of the Senate, especially in today's U.S. Senate. Politicians are national targets for cruel commentary. Their looks, their gaffes, their scandals... They're all fair game in the public square. If you step into a combat arena, expect onlookers to jeer at the first sign of weakness. In societies where free speech is protected, that's just the nature of politics. This is as it should be. It keeps our leaders humble. Even so, a public figure being mocked for a serious brain disorder is intolerably cruel. It's horrible. Many who despise Joe Biden can't help but feel sad as he wanders around on stage trying to find somebody to shake hands with, that invisible man. Even if you have zero sympathy for Biden himself, the scene is terrifying. It's a symbol of a nation, our nation. Not just Joe, but the nation 
in decline. Transhumanists, they're convinced that technology is going to save us, not only from failing health and social decay, but from physical death and cosmic entropy itself. These are terms, i got to be honest with you, they're above my pay grade. And I'm not a stupid American. As advances in biology and AI, artificial intelligence, rapidly catch up with these futuristic dreams, supporters use two rhetorical tactics, and they normalize merging humans with machines. Now listen to this. You need to hear this. The first that they're using is an appeal to raw power. In the very near future, machines will confer physical and cognitive advantages that make their adoption necessary to compete. That includes everything from athletic enhancement to advanced brain-computer interfaces. Given that everyone needs a smartphone to navigate basic situations, this is already a stark reality. You're using it every day. I'm using it every day. We don't even think about that. The other argument, resonate with woke culture, rest on our frailty, human frailty. As the story goes, mindless evolution left us all vulnerable to various ailments, from gradual dementia to sudden strokes. Augmentation technology, it is believed, will allow us to overcome all of these problems. Once extreme tech has proved effective in healing, it'll be adopted for enhancement. And to achieve the transition, the stigma attached to cyborgs must be demolished. Neil Harbison, Harbison, H-A-R-B-I-S-S-O-N, is a prime example of this approach. He was born colorblind. He has an experimental antenna implanted in his skull that allows him to hear colors, hear colors, through fine-tuned vibrations. When he went to get his British passport renewed in 04, officials instructed him to remove the device for his picture. He replied that his antenna is now part of his body. After weeks of advocacy, Harbison became the world's first legally recognized cyborg. And that was a win for social justice and for transhumanism. But it would be delusional to claim that Harbison is qualified to be an interior designer. It's just not going to happen. In the same sense, it's inhumane and profoundly irresponsible to pretend that Fetterman's reliance on cognitive assistance software does not affect his candidacy for the Senate. It does, and it's going to. There's a question mark over his head to millions, tens of millions of Americans that are looking in at Pennsylvania. America faces social disintegration here at home, also the threat of nuclear war abroad, and certainly don't want to bring any of those nukes back home. In the immediate future, the performance of our legislature is going to determine whether our country survives any recognizable form. It'll be here. But what's it going to look like? Fetterman's struggle stirs pathos, but to shield his disqualifying condition with an ableism label is the height of cynicism. 
more than ever, we need to have capable leaders, ones that we don't question their abilities, physical and even mental. And that's not a slam against Fetterman. That's just plain, simple facts. The people of Pennsylvania, they got to have somebody that can at least think and function. And Fetterman's getting better, they say. But he can't handle even a percentage of what's going on in the U.S. Senate right now. Should he be elected, it certainly will be a victory for Democrats that are obsessed with equity. Cyborgs will have good reason to celebrate. Beyond any policy decisions, though, I suspect his public persona will do more to shake America's confidence in itself and inspire our rivals' contempt, which we all know they have plenty enough of that for us right now. Then on a symbolic level, Fetterman will not represent technological progress. He will represent an organic civilization in crisis, and in chaos. There are so many moving parts in everything that is happening today in our lives, yours, and some of ours are different, but our circles intersect in many areas. But I have a group of people, my circumstances rolled in, and my circle of influence, that a lot of it you don't know and you don't understand. Same thing's true about you. A lot of what's going on in your life, I don't know about it, and I don't understand, but you know what? That's what freedom and liberty and democracy and our Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, that's what those things are all about, making sure that the people of society are the ones that make the determination of how we are governed and who we send to represent us in Washington, and why. And the most important part of that is when they get there, they've got to stop listening to their party leaders. Democrat, independent, Republican, it makes no difference. Stop listening to your leaders. Don't let anybody tell you what to think. Think on your own. Make even political decisions on your own. And you know what? You're going to be fine. Your kids will be fine. And we're going to have a midterm election, I promise you, that flips the house for sure. And every day, here we are 20 days out, but every day I feel more and more confident that the Republicans, the conservatives, are going to take back our Senate. And we can stop the insanity that is being rolled out every day in all kinds of ways, always about spending money, gaining more power, and controlling the people of the United States. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. 
Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. I would say on our TNN live shows every day, about 99% of what we talk about has to do with politics. And the reason we do that is because we're all trying to get a grip on what's best for our nation. And there are so many moving parts. That's not going to change. There will always be moving parts in our government. And we'll never be able to nail down everything. But at least we can somehow... We've done it in the past. We've done it effectively in the past. We can get our arms around what's best for us in a lot of sectors of our government and make some choices to lock down the goodness and the people that are operating there. That's what elections are all about. But i got to be honest with you. The vitriol, the anger, the hatred, it's got to stop. I've never seen it at current levels. All these horrible things that are happening in our big cities, not just our big cities, happening out in the countryside now. People are getting angry. They're shooting each other on the streets. We're having drive-by shootings. People are beating people up. We have a story in a little bit. We're going to talk to you about what happened to that guy, that young man that is a pro-life guy. He and his child were demonstrating peacefully in front of an abortion clinic and an activist came over, said something to the man and grabbed his son. Son is a small guy and the father intervened. They left that particular place. And then several days later, early in the morning, 20 FBI agents stormed their home, no warning, and grabbed him, took him to jail. And he's being charged with breaking a law, a federal law, and the federal law that is in place, I don't know why, but it protects demonstrators at abortion clinics. 
In other words, not the demonstrators that are there that are pro-life demonstrators, but it protects those pro-life demonstrators from doing anything to anybody that works in those abortion clinics. And that guy, the guy that came over and grabbed this young man's son, works for that abortion clinic. This is the government that we live with. We elected. Think about that. That'll make you nauseous. We elected these people. And then they elect, or they appoint others who do these kinds of things. Two things. Our Department of Justice and our FBI are in the tank. And I would say in the commode. But that sounds a little crude. But internally, both of those departments of our government of the executive branch have politicized every single thing they do. And it's always for particular people in government, particular ideologies in government. And it has very little to do with the oaths of office that the leaders of both of these departments gave, spoke, and swore that they would protect and operate under. It has nothing to do with that. It is strictly for political purposes. And i got to be honest with you, that sounds like countries like Venezuela, other countries in Eastern Europe and Southeast Asia that are totally authoritarian. And this Democrat Party, Joe Biden, even Barack Obama, they want an authoritarian government. No doubt about it. So we've got, as we keep saying, 20 days till the midterm elections. Who are you going to vote for? Do you have any U.S. senators that their term is up and they're running in your state? Have you reached out and spoken to them, the candidates? Have you sent them messages? Have you watched? Have you read? Have you learned about what they each think regarding policies and the operations of the United States government and what the governments in their various states are doing? Educate yourselves. Please, educate yourselves. Well, Joe Biden, he's front and center in everything. He's buying votes left and right. The student loan cancellation deal, that's just one thing he's doing. He's doing tons of other things. He's reaching out, trying to buy votes, trying to buy votes. And we have horrible things going on overseas. The Ukraine-Russian war It just keeps growing and growing and growing. And every day it seems more likely there's going to be nukes involved in that. What's our president doing? Why hasn't he met with Vladimir Putin to negotiate? Now, I'm not a military expert, but I can tell you this. In everything in my life, everything that happens between me and my life, between me and other people, the best way to not let it ramp up and get really, really ugly is as early as possible, get together with those involved, talk through the issues, and if there's resolution that can be made, find common commonalities in which you can stand on and use to reach an agreement, even if it's going to be that we agree to disagree. But heck, don't even bring nuclear 
war or nuclear bombs or missiles, don't even bring those into that conversation. That means one party or even both have predetermined ideas about it and they're committed to get there. Oh my gosh, please don't let that happen, Mr. President. I know you work hard. (laughs) Oh my gosh, in that note, working hard in our government, Joe, President Biden is scheduled to leave Friday for a long weekend in Delaware, making his week a four-day work week. Despite calling this upcoming midterm election the most consequential election in our history. So his upcoming three-day vacation, it comes after he also spent the weekend of October 15th and 16th in Delaware and has been away from the White House for more than a quarter of his presidency. He, the president, has spent 174 days in Delaware as of October 16th, 64 days at Camp David. He's outpacing former President Donald Trump's total of 158 days away from the White House at the same point in his administration. When asked why the president is spending the weekend vacationing so close to the midterms, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said Biden takes the midterms very seriously and that he has been around her term. I don't think I've ever heard a previous president called just being around. She said he's been around. He just went to Colorado. He just went to California. He just went to Portland. We're going to go to Pennsylvania. We're going to go to Florida and we'll have more to share. She said at a press conference two days ago, Biden's constant trips to Delaware have caused some to question, many to question, why the president is spending so much time out of public view. As his Secret Service has claimed, there is no visitor log of who has met with Biden in his private residence. Republican Kentucky Representative James Comer, who was set to lead the House Oversight Committee if Republicans win the House, he called on the Biden administration to release the visitor logs when he was being interviewed with the New York Post. Americans deserve to know who President Biden is meeting with, Comer said, especially since we know that he routinely met with First Son Hunter's business associates during his time as vice president. White House Deputy Press Secretary Andrew Bates defended Biden's trips to Delaware. He said President Biden is deeply proud of his roots and his family and has been a staple of his time in public life to never lose touch with either. Presidents of the United States are constantly on the job, regardless of their location, whether they're on a state visit overseas or just 100 miles from the White House for a short trip to Wilmington, Delaware. And as all Americans can agree, it's important for leaders to avoid becoming ensconced in Washington, D.C., Well, my question is, what is going on in Washington, D.C. that is so important for them? It's so important for them to weigh in on it all, but they don't want to be in Washington, D.C. weighing in on it all. 
That's happening a lot, more than I ever thought it could happen. So as we know, we've got a midterm election going on. It includes every member of the United States House of Representatives and around the nation on the state and local level, there's a bunch of governors that are running. And in Arizona, candidate Carrie Lake, the Republican running for governor there, spent two minutes berating the media about election deniers after taking questions from the press at one of her black voice for Carrie Ask Me Anything tour stops. She visited Phoenix, where she and Jack Brewer discussed her upcoming race. She stopped for questions after her speech when she was asked about claims that she is an election denier. She whipped out several pages of research done by a 20-year-old that's named Anthony, highlighting all the times Democrats have denied election outcomes. You did better research than half these people, Lake said to Anthony before turning her attention towards the gaggle there listening to her. Let's talk about election deniers. Here's 150 examples of Democrats denying election results, she said, and she held up the papers. Wow, look at this. This is from Joe Biden's press secretary. Reminder, Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. A Democrat was saying that. An election denier. Oh, look at this. Just heard Republican Ryan Costello said it would be difficult for Stacey Abrams to win. Why? Because she lost her state bid. But she's still claiming she never lost. Hillary Clinton. Trump is an illegitimate president. Lake said as she held up a copy of the Washington Post reporting on the former Secretary of State. So it's okay for Democrats to question elections, but it's not okay for Republicans? It's a crop of BS, she said. Everybody knows it. We have our freedom of speech. We're not going to relinquish it to a bunch of fake news propagandists, she said. I mean, that's pretty pointed. Pretty powerful. She refused then to answer Sunday whether she would accept the election results of her race if she loses. She said, I'm going to win the election, and I'm going to accept that result. Lake also has claimed the 2020 election was rigged against Donald Trump. During a June debate, she also said that Biden lost the election and shouldn't be in the White House, and that the election was corrupt. (laughs) And then you get beat up if you talk about something that uh, is true. If you manufacture it and somebody else agrees that it's honest or that it's newsworthy and you then go out in the marketplace of ideas and you put it out there, if you're a leftist and if what you're talking about is a left policy or law or somebody doing something that's really spectacular, you're applauded. It doesn't matter if what you say and what you do includes anything degrading anybody else. If you follow the company line, if you find the line of all of these Democrats, then you're automatically, you're going to be eligible. You're going to be eligible for pretty much anything you want. I don't care what it is. If uh, you want power, if you want a new gig, 
If you want a job in a Democrat Party candidate's office or whatever, ask for anything. And they do it. And they do it with in-your-face stuff and make sure that you hear what they're saying and then they demand their results to be met. I guess that's the difference between Democrats and Republicans. Republicans, on the most part, they stay pretty civil when they're in contentious conversations with Democrats. Much, much more coming from TNN Live. Speaking the truth, the left doesn't want you to hear. TNN, the Truth News Network. When it comes to online meetings, you're crushing it. But if you want to crush something that's a little more fun, why not play Best Fiends, the five-star rated puzzle game? Best Fiends is loaded with challenging puzzles that are so much fun. And you're never accidentally on mute. So take a stress break with the cutest characters on the planet and download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Play Best Fiends. Download free. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes! M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Sorry about that. Do you remember Mark Grennan? You remember him? He's been on our show several times. He came on our show multiple times, live from a jail cell in Bogota, Colombia. Yeah. How did he get out? How did he get to talk on the phone and do a interview on the radio? I guess things are different in Bogota, Colombia. I don't know, but thankfully... He was able to get out and be able to tell his story. Who is he? And what is his story and what is it all about? Well, he and his sons were arrested. Now, two of his sons were in their ministry in Florida. They were operating there. And Mark has a long career of being a medical missionary. And he was in Columbia treating people for COVID-19. Now, here's the headline, the day that he was arrested. He was arrested in Columbia, put in jail there with one son. The two other sons were arrested in Florida, and they're still in prison in Miami. No trial, two years after being arrested. Mark and one son were in Bogota, Columbia. No trial. They were finally extradited back to the United States. And I spoke to Mark Grennan this morning. He and one son were transferred to a mental hospital for analysis in Fort Worth, Texas. And a little bit later in the show, sometime this hour, I'm going to let you listen to that four or five minute conversation. 
he and I had. But if you don't know anything about it, I'm going to read a story that came, it was published in The Insider the day that he and his sons were arrested. Here's what it says. Mark Grennan, the self-styled leader of a fake church in Florida, has been arrested in Colombia for extradition to the U.S. He is facing federal charges over allegations that he sold the type of toxic bleach as a miracle potion meant to cure COVID-19. In a series of tweets, the Office of Columbia's Attorney General announced that officers in Santa Marta had arrested Grennan and his son Joseph Timothy Graham. The arrest was in response to charges filed in the U.S. for marketing in that country a supposed miracle potion to treat COVID-19 and other diseases, the announcement said. This is the news entity Business Insider. They said they have extensively reported how the substance called Miracle Mineral Solution, or MMS, has been promoted as a cure for a range of illnesses. Since the coronavirus pandemic began, advocates have also claimed it's effective against COVID-19. According to the Attorney General's office, Mark and Joseph Grinnan served as spiritual guides of an international religious congregation to sell their followers the miracle solution. It said the prosecutors believe the substance has a role in the death of seven American citizens. Colombian authorities also accused Grinnan of selling it, that substance locally, and arranging shipments from the Caribbean port of Santa Marta to parts of even Europe and Africa. A FDA spokesman said the agency does not comment on ongoing investigations. Grinnan, along with Joseph Grinnan and two of his other sons, was charged by prosecutors in Florida in July with conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to violate the Federal Food, Drug, Cosmetic Act, and criminal contempt. They are accused by U.S. prosecutors of promoting and selling MMS as a miracle cure for illnesses including cancer, Alzheimer's, autism, multiple sclerosis, HIV, AIDS, and COVID-19. Now let me let me let you let me just tell you a little bit about this miracle cure, this MMS. What is it? It's a combination and actually it's called I just went blank. I just went blank. Chlorine dioxide. Chlorine dioxide, not Clorox. Chlorine dioxide. And it's been around since the 1800s. Now let me tell you about it. It's not a miracle drug. It's never been presented as a miracle drug, but it's been used for decades. More than a hundred years. Who's using it? Where do you live? What town or what city do you live in? Do you know that every medical facility in your town uses chlorine dioxide? Why do they use it? Because it kills all kinds of bacteria and viruses. They use it to clean rooms, surgical centers. And who brought it to the minds, 
Who brought it to the public? NASA did. NASA, in 1986, that's a long time ago, isn't it? But in 1986, NASA termed chlorine dioxide as a miracle finding that will change the world. Mark Grennan, he's not a doctor, he's never claimed to be a doctor, but he found, just like a bunch of people did before him, in extremely controlled and low doses, it kills all kinds of viruses. There is a documentary in tomorrow's truthnewsnet.org story. We're going to put links in. There is a documentary that he had nothing in the production of, and it includes first-person accounts from people that used chlorine dioxide and cured all kinds of problems, really serious problems. And a link to that documentary will be on the front page of Truth News Network. Org tomorrow morning. We're going to take a break here, but when we come back, I'm going to let you listen to Mark Grennan this morning and what he had to say about what he and his sons are facing right now. They've been in jail, two of them in Columbia, the other two in Miami, for two years. They don't get to see their families. Two of the sons have babies they've never seen. They didn't do anything illegal, nothing illegal. But they got in the headlines, they got in the eyes and became a target of Dr. Anthony Fauci during COVID-19. Now, why would that happen? Because they gave chlorine dioxide to a host of people, friends, people that were Uh, part of a church, and they used chlorine dioxide, and it worked. What does that mean? Chlorine dioxide cost hardly anything. Hardly anything. One country in South America, the federal government there, bought chlorine dioxide and gave it away to their citizens across the nation to use to quell and keep from having a pandemic there. And it worked. Anthony Fauci couldn't let that come to the United States. And so he got the FDA to reach out and demand that Mark Grennan stop using chlorine dioxide. By the way, they had been using it for decades in foreign countries with tremendous results among natives in Africa and other countries. Of course, our government doesn't, they don't care about any of that. They don't look at that. They got crossways with FDA and Dr. Anthony Fauci. Mark Grennan, he'll be up right after this. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? 
how much you could save by switching to Geico. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque. And experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. Election cycles come and go. White House reporters come and go. The truth is a diamond because it's forever. TNN, the Truth News Network. Your jeweler today is Dan Newman. Well, unfortunately, we can't get that audio. Can't get it loaded in our system to play for you today. But it will be up on the front page of truthnewsnet.org tomorrow. So remember it's there, and you'll see a little note where it's posted tomorrow. I want you to hear what he had to say. It's about four or five minutes long, but it's an update on what's going on. Let me just say this. I don't know the ins and outs of the exact processes that were being used, but according to federal law, and that's one thing that Mark Grennan is very, very informed of, and he is very, very vocal, Their attorneys have been involved interacting with the federal attorneys for years now. They will not bring their cases to trial. The federal government won't do it. And the reason they won't is because they're going to be exposed for more of this top-down grabbing American citizens, making these dramatic shows where they show up with helicopters and 20 or 30 FBI agents in raid instead of just knocking on the door and handing somebody an arrest warrant. They're doing it for political purposes. And they're violating, in many cases, the rights of American citizens. And i got to be honest with you. There's all kinds of nut jobs out there that are doing anything and everything that they can to get in the attention and in the eyes of the American people so they can make political and score political brownie points. But this is not that. It's not that. I'll give you an example. You know the name Herb Gehrige? You don't know the name, but you know the incident that just happened. 
Herb is a pro-life activist who was indicted Friday, last Friday, over charges related to an alleged blockade of an abortion clinic. And he was criticized and has criticized the Biden administration for using federal law to target peaceful pro-life demonstrators, and he did that in an interview after he was arrested. Garrity alleged, apparently, he participated in a physical blockade of an abortion clinic in Washington, D.C. on October 22nd of 2020. Now think about that. That's two years ago. And he's now being charged with conspiracy against rights and violation of the FACE Act, F-A-C-E, which makes it a federal crime to interfere with somebody because they're a provider of reproductive health care. So what happened? It was very public. The DOJ has dramatically increased its enforcement of this act against anti-abortion demonstrators under the Biden administration, particularly in light of the Supreme Court overturning of Roe v. Wade in June. Roger Severino, who's a former DOJ Office of Civil Rights Director, he stepped out and he had something to say about this. What we're talking about here is non-violent pro-life activity. This is something that people should care about because it's showing an abuse of power from the Biden administration targeting many peaceful pro-life activists. For me, he said, the anti-abortion cause is not something that's religious. In fact, I'm an atheist, he said. It's not necessarily a right-wing opinion. I work with the progressive anti-abortion uprising. Many people believe abortion should be illegal and it should not be normalized to have this mass industrialized slaughter of unborn human beings. Garrity and eight others were accused of forcefully entering an abortion clinic, blocking two doors with furniture, chairs, ropes, and their bodies while a tenth defendant live-streamed the event. Each of them faces up to 11 years in prison, three years of supervised release, and a fine of up to $260,000. Now that's directly from the indictment against him. This is the latest series of federal indictments related to anti-abortion protest and demonstrations. Under the Biden administration, at least 22 peaceful pro-life activists have been indicted under this FACE Act. This year so far, 22. There's been a shocking increase in the number of FACE Act investigations, prosecutions, and overcharging in terms of the number of years they're threatening people with, Severino said. The DOJ is charging people over alleged violations that would not even merit such a heavy hand if it were in any other context, but because it has to do with abortion, they want to throw the book at pro-lifers to scare people to death and keeping them from exercising their First Amendment rights. Another pro-life activist, Mark Houck, was arrested by the FBI September 23rd after an altercation back in 2021 between Houck and a volunteer outside an abortion clinic. Dozens of federal agents stormed his house, pointed guns at the parents and in the direction of their seven children as they began screaming and begging the officers not to take their father away. 
They increased enforcement under the Obama administration compared to the Bush years to target pro-lifers, but now it doesn't even compare. They put it on steroids. The number of investigations, the overcharging, the use of armed officers late at night, scaring little children and taking their fathers away in handcuffs at the point of a gun. Garrity said targeting a pro-lifer should concern everybody, calling it an abuse of power against peaceful demonstrators. Let me just weigh in and tell you this. This is part of a concerted effort and a policy. It's unspoken at this particular point, but it's so obvious not listening to what politicians say, but watching what politicians do. It tells you what's really going on. And in this case, what's really going on is pushed back by the Biden administration against what the Supreme Court said in their opinion when they overturned Roe v. Wade. Now, they're out there, they being these heavy-handed politicians slash FBI agents, DOJ activists. What they're doing is they're pushing their opinions that what happened, what the Supreme Court did, is a violation of federal law. It's actually not. They don't want to talk about what the Supreme Court did in the context of what it really was, and it's very simple what they did. They said in the Constitution, there is no guarantee or no right given for anybody under federal law to have an abortion. There's nothing in the Constitution that says people can't have an abortion. But what it did, and this is the critical piece that everybody needs to understand, this is not a pure democracy. A pure democracy is where everybody in a country, every citizen, votes on every issue. There's no Congress. There are no representatives. And if it's a federal law that's passed, that the people all vote on it, then the federal government operates it, makes all the rules, enforces all the rules, breaking, laws breaking, they're the ones that enforce it. We live in a representative republic. That's the way it was founded, very obviously, and it was done so for a purpose. Our forefathers lived in a nation where what I talked about was similar to the governments they came up with, a pure democracy, but what they came up with was the people had no voice at all. It didn't matter what any citizen thought about what was going on. They had no way to address it, no way to change it. They just had to bow down to the authoritarians who were in power and were doing anything and everything they wanted to to the populace. That's not what our nation is. And the Supreme Court reaffirmed that That's not the way legally that abortion should be handled. It should go back to the people's direct representatives. Now, who would that be? It would be the state legislatures. That's where laws are made, and our forefathers made it very clear. There will be a federal government, but the right and the demand for state governments to be structured and operate for all their populace individually. That came way before 
the federal government came into being. And so what the Supreme Court said, this goes back to the states. This does not outlaw abortion in any way. That's not the message. That's not the facts that the left are putting out there to the people. They are saying that the Supreme Court outlawed abortion. And let me just say this. Grab your U.S. Constitution. I know you keep a copy of it. Just do a search. Go online and do a search. And search and pull up the Constitution. And if you get it online, you can get a source from some website. I don't have it in front of me or I'll tell you what it is. But you can do a search of the U.S. Constitution and its contents. And just do a search on abortion. It's not even mentioned. The Constitution doesn't guarantee the right to an abortion. But what it did was it said states who directly represent the people are the ones that craft laws. And the Supreme Court said there's no law in the Constitution. So the federal government can legally have no say-so. That's all they said was send it back to the states, and the left have just gone absolutely crazy. They want all that power to be at the federal government because they want to be the ones that weigh in on every important issue. Now, we talked at the beginning of the show about what was going on with John Fetterman, who's the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. He's running for that vacated U.S. Senate seat and he's running against Dr. Oz. There are a couple of really, really important issues going on in that Senate race in Pennsylvania. I can't go anywhere where there's not a family affected by fentanyl. Oh my goodness, is that one? Here, come on up here. A criminal came in from Philadelphia, brought three methyl fentanyl. Our daughter took it because she had physical pain from Lyme. My husband found her the next morning, and... The criminal that brought this to our home is appealing his sentence. And John Fetterman will be the person who says, okay, this is fine. Give him another chance. One Pennsylvania mother sharing the devastating impact of the fentanyl crisis on her own family as she rallies with Dr. Oz in his fight for the Senate with the race now down to a statistical tie. Pittsburgh-based columnist and reporter Selena Zito joins us now. Selena, what a sad story. Explain to us, because you're on the ground there in, in Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania, how central is the idea of, is, is fentanyl and crime uh, to this race? It's, it's the most, these are the two most important things in the race outside of, of inflation. You know, that was absolutely gutting. What is sad for me to say as a reporter that's been covering this epidemic for 15 years and watching it escalate in the past two years to even a higher number is that I have been on the ground with Dr. Oz where there's no cameras around and he's had this conversation not once, not twice, but dozens and dozens of times. And it's not just suburban parents, it's city parents, it's rural parents. This is killing our younger generation and and it is not being addressed. I had an interview with the sheriff the other day where he was talking to me and you know, think about this in rural Pennsylvania or rural, rural Ohio, 
However, he said the cartels are here and we're not doing anything to stop it. Yeah. So that mother was connecting Fetterman and his sort of soft on crime policies and, right. you know, letting these criminals out uh, to the fentanyl problem. But are the people in Pennsylvania connecting the fentanyl pro problem to our border, to the open border policy Absolutely. of the Biden administration? Absolutely. It doesn't matter what party you're in. People understand where it's coming from and people understand until it's stopped and also and until there are consequences for criminals in the drug trade, but also for crime in general. They're, uh, people are not going to be satisfied. These are their children and their grandchildren that are dying. Yeah. You know, I've been really surprised. I'm, I'm not from Pennsylvania, so I've been watching with so much curiosity about what's happening. So you have Fetterman, who's, you know, clearly facing some really, you know, cognitive issues because of the stroke he had. Um, he has a, he comes from a, a city that is doing worse since he was mayor. I'm surprised that how tight this race is. I mean, you have Dr. Oz, who's a who's a doctor, who you know has a lot of credibility and a lot of name recognition. Why is this race so tight? Well, Pennsylvania has this habit of breaking in the last minute. So it'll be tight, it'll be tight, it'll be tight, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's going to go in one direction or the other. And I think it is just the habit of the American, uh, American people to not really pay attention over the summer. And then that's where you saw Dr. Oz sort of starting to make gains um, after Labor Day, after the end of September. And, and as more knowledge came out about um, Fetterman's lack of transparency um, about his illness, but also that he didn't reduce crime in his city that the, or borough, and that the borough of Braddock actually got worse instead of better. I have a story about that in the New York Post. Uh, but as you saw that, plus you coupled that with Oz going around all across the state in these little events, those a combination of that bo both um, approaches has moved Oz up uh, double digits yeah. and closing on Fetterman. Well, Pennsylvania is very similar to Wisconsin, and we saw that same sort of jump for uh, Senator Ron Johnson in that post-Labor Day um, and as more information came out about his opponent. So it's an interesting state to watch, one we're definitely going to be coming to you again for um, as we get closer to the midterms and, and on Election Day. So, Selena, always great to have you on Fox & Friends. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, Rachel. Let me ask you, is it is it just me or does it seem like this midterm election cycle that there's more vitriol, there's more contention, there's more nastiness that is happening than ever before? You heard just a little bit of the Marco Rubio and Val Deming debate that happened last night, and that's for the Senate seat, U.S. Senate seat that Marco Rubio currently holds in Florida, and Val Deming, I mean, both her and Rubio got after each other, and you expect that in a debate, and that's okay as long as it's at least civil and they're not going crazy and being so vitriolic that it's, it's hatred, but we're seeing actual hatred in these elections that are going on around the nation. Carrie Lake, out in Phoenix, my goodness. I wish I had the uh, the audio of that yesterday. She got after, or she was gotten after by somebody when she was giving a speech calling her an election denier. And that, of course, was referring to the fact that she questioned 
the validity of the 2020 election results for president. And because of that, she was immediately branded, just like anybody that doesn't believe that election fairly elected Joe Biden, but that there was voting irregularity and fraud, and a lot of it had to do with the election vote counting from five big states, very important states, swing states. She believed it. She saw the evidence of the Arizona audit that was never fully completely covered, and it wasn't released to the public, and everybody knows why, because it showed, and they actually came out and said, there were thousands of votes that were counted to people that don't even live in Arizona, and many of them were dead. Was it enough to change the results? We'll never know, but there are a lot of people that deny the efficacy of the election results. And of course, they're immediately branded. But then she came up with 13 examples through the last five or six years where Democrats themselves have denied the results of elections. I guess the most famous one of those was Hillary Clinton. To this day, she still claims that Donald Trump didn't legally beat her in the 2016 election, that that election was stolen from her. I don't think it was. I don't know one way or the other. But that is being an election denier. And this is the United States of America. We have a First Amendment that gives anybody to think that anything they want to is real. And they have the freedom to talk about it, whether or not it upsets another person or another group. That's what we do here. Well, this story It's really puzzling to me. I don't know. It kind of makes me feel sick at my stomach. Las Vegas Review-Journal reporter Jeff German. I've never met him, but I knew who he was. We had a big client for years out in Las Vegas, and he worked at the Las Vegas uh, Review-Journal then, and he wrote some stories that were published about our client out there, the hospital out there. Anyway, He was found dead. German was found dead outside his home with multiple stab wounds September 3rd of this year. Guess who was arrested and charged with that murder? Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tellis. Now, Clark County, that's Las Vegas, Nevada. Robert Tellis is a Democrat. He is accused of murdering that journalist reportedly cried, did tell us in a hearing on Tuesday after the judge denied him bail, which I thought was unusual. Nevada law enforcement reportedly found bloody shoes and a straw hat after they searched Tellus's home following his arrest on September 7th. Tellus's DNA was also found under German's fingernails. Tellus broke down crying during Tuesday's bail hearing. His public defender unsuccessfully argued. Now, this is this was puzzling to me when I saw this story. He is or was the Clark County Public Administrator. In other words, he was kind of like the COO, Chief Operating Officer for Las Vegas. I'm sure, I don't know what governments play, uh, pay, but I know they pay the real high-up people, pretty good money. I'd say he was making minimum $150,000, dollars 
and he can't get his own attorney. He doesn't have the money, so he gets a public defender. No wonder he didn't get a break. The attorney told the judge there's no evidence that he's a danger to anyone. There's no evidence that if released, anyone else would be in trouble or in peril or that monetary bail or other conditions are needed to ensure the safety of the community. That's what his attorney said. But the judge sided with the prosecutors and denied bail. I don't have a problem reconsidering my decision after listening to the preliminary hearing. But at this point, I'm conferring with the state. Bail is denied. Now, why did he kill German, the reporter? Well, allegedly killed German after German broke the news that TELUS had an affair with one of his staffers. TELUS reportedly tried to kill himself as a SWAT team zeroed in on his house last month following the murder of German. TELUS was previously arrested, by the way, on suspicion of domestic violence when his wife called the cops on him couple of years ago, March of 2020. Telus's preliminary hearing is scheduled to take place on the 26th next uh, Wednesday. We'll keep you in tuned about that. That's kind of a strange deal that just popped out and, and it got my attention. I don't know if you heard, but this morning, verdict came in in the Durham trial. And it didn't turn out so well. Danchenko, the um, the guy that was tried by John Durham for lying, Danchenko was a central figure in the Russia collusion hoax story when Donald Trump was president. Danchenko was ruled not guilty. So why why the big hoo ha? I mean that this was a big trial. And I can't even begin to think about the money that the United States people paid for Durham to get this thing ready to go to trial and to actually prosecute Danchenko. And then for him to be ruled not guilty, that kind of sticks in my craw. And I don't even know all the details yet. Special Counsel Durham, he made a calculated decision to transform his only criminal trials. One was of Clinton lawyer Michael Sussman and still dossier source Igor Danchenko, who is the subject of what we're talking about. Durham, what he did, he transformed those into forums for telling the story of the FBI's pursuit of the unsubstantiated Russia collusion narrative. How did all this come to a not guilty verdict. From pre-child motions and brutal cross-examinations of FBI witnesses to his parting words at the Danchenko trial, Durham telegraphed his disdain for the FBI's behavior to jurors in the courts of both law and public opinion. The jury might well conclude the FBI mishandled the Russia case the veteran prosecutor declared Monday in his closing arguments. The government is not here to defend the FBI's performance in these matters, he said. Now, this is Durham. Such comments gave license to jurors to acquit as they did in the end. 
So before it was over, Durham dropped bombshell after bombshell with most landing on the FBI rather than the defendants, and I think that's what got them. Here are some examples. Hillary Clinton personally approved sharing the Russia collusion narrative against Trump in the fall of 2016, even though her campaign wasn't sure it was true. And that's according to her former campaign manager, Robbie Mook, who testified at the trial. And then the FBI offered Christopher Steele a whopping $1 million if he could prove that the sensational allegations contained in that famous Steele dossier were true. But he didn't do it. Think about it. They offered him a million dollars. Now, what was that to do? To find some way to fake evidence to prove that it was real. We, the people of the United States, were going to pay him a million dollars. I just can't, I can't, I can't even understand that. I can't fathom how that would be reconciled in the Department of Justice that that was okay. I don't even have any idea who would have thought of it. But apparently there were plenty of people on the seventh floor of the J. Edgar Hoover building that were okay with coming up with a way to blackmail. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The FBI included allegations, remember, from the Steele dossier and its FISA application to spy on the Trump campaign, even though it hadn't verified a single element of the dossier. And by the way, that FISA warrant application, it said in the application, it told the court that the Steele dossier was verified when it wasn't. Danchenko was hired as a confidential human source, recommended for hundreds of thousands of dollars, even though this is in spite of the fact the FBI had concerns that he was tied to Russian intelligence and had lied to them, the FBI. A Clinton-friendly PR executive named Charles Dolan testified that he lied to Danchenko, who then passed that lie onto Steele's dossier and then lied about Dolan being a source of the allegation. The FBI ignored the warnings of its own analysts that the allegations of collusion might be disinformation inserted by Russian intelligence. When you wrap it all up, the tales of deceit, duplicity, disinformation in the end were too much for the jurors in this case to hold those two informers to the FBI, Sussman and Danchenko, to account. In other words, hold them guilty. The forewoman in the Sussman trial said prosecutors may have shown Sussman lied but the jury felt it was a waste of their time to hold a trial. A juror for the Danchenko trial said jurors were mostly unanimous in acquitting Danchenko. So what's the moral of the story of the Durham trials? It's simple. Jurors won't convict an FBI informer for providing the Bureau a story that the Bureau seemed to want, even in the face of contradictory evidence. Durham gave all conservatives part of what they wanted, an airing of the FBI's stunning failures and misconduct in the politically tinged probe. But in the end, 
Durham didn't deliver a guilty verdict or the sort of accountability conservatives wanted him to bring, just the narrative. And Washington is left with the continuing divide about what to make of Russiagate. Conservatives are more convinced than ever it was a deep state plot to get Donald Trump. Liberals see some smoke from the evidence, but without the fire of convictions. What's the next step? Well, many experts have said it's to wait for Durham's final report, assuming he is finished with prosecutions. Are you an election denier? I mean, honestly, ask yourself that. And you know the answer. If every American was asked, and every American was honest, I will guarantee the results would be more than half the nation believe that 2020 election. The results that came out and that were verified by the United States Congress, the elections are tainted, the results are tainted, and I think that Joe Biden didn't actually win based upon the votes that were cast, but the votes that were counted, the votes that were counted, that he was elected president by those. So in the wake of all of this, let me ask you this question. And I want you to think about it for a second. Who's really running the nation? I mean, Joe Biden is president, but do you really feel like he's the guy? That he's the one that's pulling all the levers? He's the one that's making all the decisions? I don't think he is. In fact, I think when he gets out on his own, when he starts making decisions, when he gets off the teleprompter and starts making his own speeches from the teleprompter amount, hitting on only half or so of what's on the teleprompter, him editorializing the other parts. I think he's a danger to the Democrat causes. I think there's enough of representative Republic democracy in Joe Biden that every once in a while he slips and he lets some of that come out. But who is really running our government? Tammy Bruce from Fox News has an answer for you. And she's up next. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. 
Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Were you around when this song came out? I thought it was the weirdest song. Spirit in the Sky. And it had all these funny sounds at the beginning. Anyway, we mentioned the question, who is really running our government? Tammy Bruce. You don't see her very often. She is a contributor on Fox News. But yesterday, she weighed in with a couple of other people on the show, and I think they came up with some kind of answer. You decide. Critics are questioning President Biden over his many, many, many trips to Delaware. The president has reportedly spent more than one quarter of his term in Delaware. That's 174 days away from the White House. It's also 39 more days than President Trump at at this time in his term, more time out of the office than all of his recent predecessors as well. And the First Lady has reportedly been working overtime to protect her husband. According to the New York Times, Dr. Jill Biden has a lot of influence on the president's decisions. She even helped vet White House officials. Tammy Bruce is a Fox News contributor. She joins us now. What acumen or or what um, life experience professionally do we know that Dr. Jill Biden has for vetting White House officials? Well, I think that it's not about what they're going to do for the country necessarily or how they're going to do their job. What she can do is she understands what her husband can do and what her husband's capable of and what he needs. So I think any spouse could vet those individuals in that fashion. And that's what worries me, that this is about really just protecting him as an individual. And many of us, myself included, thought she would stop this from happening because she would love her husband and not want his reputation ruined. But it seems as though, we'll remember a photograph early on, she was on Air Force One at the president's desk, I believe with his jacket on, looking at a, a binder of, of, you know, policies and things. And it was like the people were saying, who got elected here? She was... It, literally photographed in his position. So we've known that the president is not necessarily as engaged. Uh, the fact is she's protecting him specifically. It means someone else really is running the country, and we've had that question from the beginning. Are we comfortable? I guess the question then becomes for voters if he should want to run in 2024. Mm-hmm. Is there a comfort zone for a person who has never been elected to, to have that That's role? That's the issue. So here's what's interesting to yeah. me about what you said, and it's spot on. 
especially given that picture that, that I do recall. Why wasn't that Kamala Harris? We, we actually do have somebody to do exactly. that job. Exactly. She would be the vice president. Exactly. So is this like, uh, what is this exactly? Well, from the beginning, clearly all of these were political decisions. Uh, and whether it's because Kamala Harris did real damage to him during that one debate about the issue of busing and, well, and racial segregation. Well, you know, it's funny how quickly she pulled out of the race once that was done, and then she became the vice president. So we look; those kinds of choices are, are made all the time for political reasons, to get somebody out of a race in order to protect yourself. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is something that you're absolutely right. No one would have minded we should exceed the vice president in a, in a position like that. But for all this time, we haven't really even seen that. That, mm -hmm. of course, was the beginning, perhaps, of the division that maybe was there from the beginning between her office and the president's. Uh, well, uh, Dr. Jill Biden is doing everything right now. She is putting clothes on him as they're coming off flights. He's dropping his sunglasses. She's helping him with every aspect of life. The All world right. sees that as well, and uh, they know what's going on. Let's quickly get to this. Uh, a Wall Street Journal op-ed by Bill McGurn argues Obama warned us about Joe. Uh, and, and you remember what he said. Um, on the eve of 2020, Iowa caucuses, Politico lobbed a grenade in Joe Biden's direction. It was a story noting that the former vice president was trying to play the Obama card, even though Obama hadn't endorsed the man who had served him faithfully for eight years. The money quote was, don't, un don't underestimate Joe's ability to expletive things up. Real quick. Well, it, you know, Barack Obama's the leader of the party, effectively. He has the most power in the, Repo in the Democratic Party. Uh, and he could have stopped this from happening, but he didn't. So he knew of the weaknesses of this man. He knew what would occur. Perhaps he felt that Susan Rice could run the country. I don't know. But we've got this problem. He could have stopped it. He didn't. And that's what everybody needs to know. He says some nice well, now things. Now Obama's but back. But then oh, again, yeah. who else do they have? With exactly. his popularity. Exactly. Yeah, no one. He decimated that party right. during his time, and that's why. Thank you, Tammy. A lot of people believe that Barack Obama has been the shadow person running the government. Now, remember this. Barack Obama famously said when he was asked publicly, I don't remember the show, but it went viral. He was asked what he thought about if he could, would he like to run and serve for a third term as president. And how he responded, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but he said, nah, I don't think I'd want to be the guy, but I think I would really like to be behind the scenes and getting a guy, whoever that would be, to implement the policies that I came up with. Put that in the context of what we're watching play, it's not so far-fetched to think that maybe that's the case. My personal opinion, Barack Obama has a team of hardcore leftists that were in his previous administration. And I think those people that are working so closely with the Biden administration, maybe in conjunction with Barack Obama, I don't know. I don't have any idea, and I know you don't either. I don't know who is running the government. But I do know who's not running the government, <laughs> and that would be Joe Biden. I mean, he does not have the cognitive ability to come up with all the concepts, the ideas, the legislation that hardcore leftist Democrats have shoved down our throats. Four trillion dollars of spending. 
put that in the context of what we actually get to come in to our federal government in the way of money to spend. Four trillion is more than all the money that comes into our government to operate the entire country. Think about all the moving parts. Joe Biden has spent more money than it takes to operate this country for a full year. 340 million people, Americans. We don't have that money. You know that. He knew that. But all of this recent spending is for one reason, buying votes to try to protect their Democrat majority in the House of Representatives in the Senate. I don't know if it's too late for the Democrats. I think it is. I think this late stuff that voters have figured out what this is all about. This is a last-ditch effort. This is a Hail Mary by Joe Biden and the Democrats to try to save that majority. I don't think I don't think they have time to do it. And Stuart Varney doesn't either. Well, you had to dig into the New York Times midterm poll to find a golden nugget. Here it is. In September, independent women voters favored Democrats by 14 points. By mid-October, that same group favored Republicans by 18 points. That's a 32-point swing in a key voting group in a matter of weeks. That's stunning. What happened? When the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, abortion appeared to be a winning issue for Democrats, but within weeks, it had faded. Look at this. The Times poll showed voters made the economy, 26%, inflation, 19%, the top issues, abortion, just 4%. Despite the president's best efforts to play down economic issues, voters are not buying it. Poll after poll shows the Republicans gaining support as the Inflation Reduction Act fails. There's another issue, crime. In one very big race, it's playing a crucial role. This is another Republican winning issue. In New York, Republican Lee Zeldin is closing in on Democrat Governor Kathy Hochul. Nine murders on the subway this year and a shooting right outside Zeldin's home on Long Island. That's turning the tide. Imagine deep blue New York going red. I don't see how the Democrats can turn this around. Their answer to inflation is wait till next year when our expensive subsidies come through. That's not good enough. Inflation hurts now. It's too late on the economy. There is universal agreement that recession is either here now or just coming soon. Crime. Democrats can't walk away from defund the police and no cash bail. We vote three weeks from today. That was yesterday. And I agree with what Stuart Barney said. But it's even deeper than that for me. I just don't see how all the pieces fit together for the Democrats to be able to actually say, give us another two years, let us stay in power in the House of Representatives in the Senate because we can do all the things that are necessary to pull the nation out of this hole that we find ourselves in. Here's the problem for me. The Democrat Party are the ones that put us in this hole. You look at what was going on just two years ago in your life. We were coming out of the pandemic. People realized there's life after COVID-19. Businesses, all kinds of things begin to open back up. Schools, kind of sketchy. Those big unions in cahoots with Democrats kept a lot of the schools closed. Most of them closed. 
And their excuse was, yeah, these kids are, they're getting schooling virtually. And of course, millions of inner city kids, their parents didn't have money for computers and internet. They weren't getting schooled at home. And it shows up now after the fact. All that being said, too many things have come into the marketplace of ideas. And it seems like every day there are a few more that come in. Exposure. Things like Joe Biden, who single-handedly pretty much killed our fossil fuel industry on the first day of his administration when he shut down the XL pipeline. That sent a message to all of the natural gas and oil companies that this president is going to kill you. And then they keep saying, we're going to do away with it. We're going to do away with fossil fuel. We're going to renewables, all renewables, solar, wind, and of course, electricity, battery, battery-powered cars. That's the answer to get rid of all those evil pollutions that we are doing to our atmosphere in the United States. Gasoline is the evil. Too many things, too many moving parts. And I just don't think that this president and his fellow Democrats have even the ability, let alone the time, to turn this ship around and make it stay blue. I just don't see it happening. I think it was a great day today. We had a bunch of information. Got a special guest coming on Friday. And I'm going to tell you, he's not a politician. He's not a politician, but he is very famous. See you tomorrow. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I